0: Capital. Community. Capital. Put your money where the movement is. It's the people that make the world go round, that make the world go round. Oh, is it the money?
1: Hey, I'm Alexis. I'm Community. Hey,
0: I'm Michael. I'm Capital. So something like that?
1: We are recording. Thumbs up.
0: What's the one thing you believe in that no one else believes in? Oh, I mean, this is <laughs> this is hot off the Twitter.
1: Uh, all right, Peter Thiel. Um, you know, as I, as I was building Reddit, the thing was, this is, it's not a cop answer, but the thing was that people would care, or people do care and will care as much or more about their online identity, even if it's a username, than their government name. And and for 15 years, I've been trying to tell people and implore people and show. And I think we're now starting to reach a tipping point where I think a lot of people are realizing whether they're falling in love online, whether they're running businesses online, whether they are just um, you know trying to sound smart on a soccer forum, like they actually really do care. And and when. When given good guardrails actually brings out the very best in people in in most cases, so uh, so that one's come to almost come to fruition, I would say it 's getting there, but i feel I feel less contentious about it than I did fifteen years ago when people were like, "No way that's impossible um, so what do I believe now? Okay, I think certainly in venture most of our peers don't think that technology or they believe that the industry of venture is immune to the tsunami of technology of software and that, and I, I, I base this on how these firms are built and run, which is very traditionally in the same way they would have been run 15 years ago. There's been little to no technology. I mean, the, what, what there's, there's email, maybe there's a CRM, they're hacking Salesforce to keep track of founder inbounds, but like it's nothing. And in doing it it's ironic cuz like if as venture capitalists we were taking pitches from startups that were like okay I'm going to revolutionize an industry and I'm going to be a 10x outperformer and my secret email and salesforce right we would laugh them out of the room and yet that's basically what most LPs settle for and I think that's that's doomed maybe I'm not as alone on this as I think but I've definitely had plenty of of investors say that this doesn't need to change, it's not an issue, or sort of hand wave about things that they're doing that are sort of good enough.
0: Why do investors say, or LPs say, that it doesn't need a change? For the same reason that,
1: I mean, Paul Graham dropped a really great essay today uh, about this bigger issue, which is, I think for a lot of folks who are too close to a problem, they accept the status quo, either because it's just comfortable, and as humans, we're just comfortable doing that, or maybe it threatens their existence. And and to accept that would mean, you know, being very—it's a big existential question, which is like, why do I even need to work if you know if this is something that, that should be doing my job or part of my job or whatnot? And and I just think it's it's wild to see because then every day there is another example of something that the, the hacker news comments are sort of infamous for this, whether it was Dropbox being announced. More recently, you know, the Coinbase announcement came up when Brian said he was looking for a co-founder. And you know, in 2012, I think that was, uh, it was a pretty radical thing, and, and kudos to Fred who eventually took him up on the offer. But, uh, but all the people in the comments who were saying like, you're doomed, this is insane, why are you bothering doing it? And, and these are technologists. These are ostensibly the very people who should know that there is this potential uh, and, and maybe what could be, but you know, there's a lot of dynamics that come into play with online commenting, so who knows. But uh, but I love it, man. It's the best part of doing this job, which is you get to talk to smart people who've thought about this stuff. And when they really, they stir your cocoa, or at least when they stir my cocoa, it's because they're telling me about something that challenges my preconceived belief about
0: how an industry should be or, or is. Well, let's break down VC for a second, because I think that may get to some of the root of why you're thinking about VC in this way and why you're thinking about actually building product as well for founders. But if you think about like VC, what in your mind are the elements that makes a great VC fund and that will make certain VC funds outperform others? Because maybe there is some merit to... What LPs are saying, like, hey, you build a great brand, you get access to the best deals, you show expertise in a certain area, and you invest in the best companies, and then that flywheel keeps going. And maybe you don't need to revolutionize the industry as in terms of structure or product to be able to do that.
1: It's a precarious position, especially these days, as more and more industries show how they are getting uh, like unbundled through technology, through a kind of democratization. You you see this now where even it's funny, uh, I think it was Jeff over at chapter one posted a tweet about <laughs> the like, they almost look like festival posters now that founders are putting out about their party rounds. And and this is something that's something we've talked about. It's, it's definitely a real trend where founders care about the names that go on that list, right? They hardly care. There's a couple exceptions. They hardly care the firm and and the very best founders are optimizing for the very best individuals on their cap table and and so the the value of reputation whether it's pseudonymous or your government name uh continues to win continues to go up and so i do think the status quo is going to be good enough for you know the sort of the the titans and this is a power law business so i i can see the argument from lps who are like look I'm gonna keep hitting my returns, I'm gonna keep feeling good because I'm LPs in these great funds that everyone knows. And and frankly, I'm not gonna get fired for buying IBM, right, type model. But for the emerging crowd, for for emerging managers, for the sort of next generation, it is, I, I think, a whole new world. And unless you really have solidified yourself as, I mean, Andreessen's always the one that comes up, but even a Sequoia and these others that have billions and billions of dollars under management and have track records and whatnot, like. That I, I think there's no room for folks who kind of flounder about in the middle. I don't know. I, I can't unsee it. <laughs> and this is my advice for other investors.
0: That kind of makes me think that if there's no room for people in the middle. You put VC as a services business on one side and VC as a product business on the other side. Maybe those two things do intersect. But how do you think about the balance between being a services business, which to some extent we are as VCs, versus actually building a product and then maybe looping that back around to become a services business.
1: I do agree. At our heart, we're a services business. And I just think of every problem (laughs) through the lens of like, how can I build product to make this services business or the service business just more efficient? How do we do more? Better, cheaper, faster using software. It's inevitable that these two will have to merge closer together. I so the pure product version of investing is probably something more akin to like Republic or a DAO. You know, there's a bunch of great software and then a sort of distributed decision making system. And, and that works because it's access to capital. Like At the end of the day, we're just providing access to capital. And so I think that gets distilled into its essence, which is like, what is the path of least resistance to get capital that doesn't suck? or that sucks as little as possible to get. And then that's and that's one side that's going to keep optimizing. That's where I think productization gets better and better, and software is really good at doing that stuff. And then there's the service part where I still believe product has to transform it. It's just going to transform the way that we do the, the service side of the business.
0: Two questions there. So one is, do you think that founders are expecting different things from investors? And related to that, do you think that founders actually respect VCs more who actually create their own product because they understand the means of creation?
1: Uh, I hope so. I know I would. When I was the founder, CEO, like, I think I would have certainly respected... I mean, there were no VCs. Actually, well, I mean, the, fir- the only one was Y Combinator. And back in 2005, I don't think they had shipped anything yet. But within a few years, they had started building software to run the firm. So yeah, I think so. And, and part of that is because no one does or so few do that it's it's noteworthy just because it's so rare. That'll change as it becomes more common. And so the bar will get raised, but that's good. And I just think the bigger statement is founders, especially great founders who have their pick, are going to optimize for the folks who can help them the most in addition to like sort of vibing and, you know, having being wanting to talk to this person uh, once a month or what have you. And so I think anything that a, anything that a firm can do to make that more effective uh, is going to help. It's going to help them win deals for sure. And then you you add in more transparency with things like VC Guide and others, where you know founder reviews, anonymous founder reviews of investors are much more accessible and much more shared. Um, that's going to just provide that's going to give more wind to the backs of the great firms or I should say also great individuals investing.
0: How much do you think that the open sourcing of information and education for founders, like they can go and read essays online from other founders who've done things or like this Paul Graham essay today and the access to information that they can get without having to kind of do that in a private forum from you know one-on-ones with investors has changed the game in terms of founders thinking they need coaching and therefore they need VCS who are actively involved in their business versus mm. like just capital I mean look at what obviously at later stages what like a tiger is doing there was that article by uh, by one of the founders to fund. Read that principals who talked about Tiger changing the game because they're playing a different game than us, than the, than the other VCs. What are they going to that? So basically, Tiger is taking a top-down macro approach right? Okay. To or, towards investing. They're saying, I just want to invest in all the best tech companies I can. And because my pacing of investing is different, because my LP's expectations are different, they're more IRR-driven rather than multiple uninvested capital driven in a sense, they can actually deploy capital at a different pace. They can raise funds faster and then therefore invest in more companies. And many of those companies that win will, you know, make up for the ones that don't. You know, they're writing hundred million dollar checks instead of one million dollar checks. But the same theory would apply is that if enough of those companies win, then they're going to do well by their LPs and they're going to do well on an IRR basis rather than other metrics. And that is a very different game that they're playing than other VCs who are taking more time to do diligence, who are spending time sitting on boards. I mean, in some cases, Tiger's not sitting on boards. They're just saying, hey, here's capital. They're almost capital as a service in a sense, right? Here's capital. We will give you capital. We'll give you access to an army of consultants when you need them. And the founders and then go off and build their business without all, all the other things that may come with what, what a VC would bring to the table, good, good or bad. You
1: know, I don't hate it, especially for the growth stage. I think very few firms do really, really well at both because the skill set is just so different. And I even see this now, right? Conversations I have with CEOs who I've known and invested in from like pre-seed. Uh, so like Z, who's the... Zach, who's the CEO of Roe, like the conversations we had four years ago when he was starting that business and the ways that I could help were just very different from the ways today. And, and once the business was at a certain moment, I, I would say candidly after maybe 100 million in revenue, The business was already like, okay, we know what the hell we're doing. We're good at it. Like (laughs) help us hire, (laughs) like help us close, you know, super, super folks. An organization had been built, work had been delegated. The job of the CEO had just evolved so much so quickly because the business was doing so well. But like now seeing in growth stage, like, yeah, I like if I had been sitting on a much larger pool of capital a few years ago when he hit that point. The absolute smart thing to do would have just been, here's more money, Z. Like, just go. Like, you you know what you're doing. I've been on this board from day one, and capital as a service is actually what this business needs. I'm all for competition, because I think it's going to ultimately make everyone better, and it's better for the founders. What you know is going to get spun, though, is one of these is going to end up having some disaster founder. And then the headline is gonna read, Tiger, whoever it is, right, gives a bunch of money to this scumbag and blah, blah, blah. And I I need to watch, did you watch the WeWork documentary? No, I haven't seen it yet. Hulu, I think, I gotta watch it. I mean, these examples are gonna come up for sure, but I guess to your point, Tiger looks at this and knows like mm, that's okay.
0: it's a top-down approach right and it's no different right I mean I mean if you have one loss at a hundred million dollars but you have other companies that are returning 20 30 times their money at a hundred million dollar checks you're still making up for that loss and, and and again like their investors have a different expectation because the, as long as their IRRs are at a certain level, It's okay. And then they can deploy faster. They can raise bigger funds. They can then invest in those companies, win those deals, and get into the best companies.
1: For the folks at home, so IRR is the internal rate of return. It's to their advantage to turn these things around so quickly because they're getting measured on that percentage of how much in gains they've generated every year.
0: So, yeah, IRR is the annual rate of growth in investment that it's expected to generate or or returns that it's expected to generate. And the reason why I think investors in private markets do IRRs is rather than multiple uninvested capital, there's there's different types of investors in private markets, right? There's individuals, so high net worth individuals, now non-accredited retail investors who are individuals as well due to the advent of crowdfunding platforms like Republic or Cedars and things like that. There's family offices, which is generally a base of permanent capital if it's a single family office right they're trying to create wealth for multiple generations those groups tend to be more multiple on invested capital driven right because they don't necessarily depending on the the firm some firms are different they don't necessarily care about IRRs right cuz they're they're like even if it takes 10 years but i return 3 or 4 times my money that's better than returning 2 times my money but having a higher IRR whereas some of the institutions so pension funds endowments they often need public market benchmarks effectively to be able to say it's worth me allocating these dollars to private markets to venture funds even though there's illiquidity because As the trade-off between higher returns in private markets versus public markets, if I'm allocating my capital here, I can justify that illiquidity... Because I'm generating higher IRR than I would be in the public market. So it, it really has become a framework for many institutions to justify where they're allocating their capital to their investment committees. And ultimately, I mean, pensions and endowments, those are institutions that represent real money. I mean, there's firemen teachers, money, especially teachers, in this country. You know, government people in government, state government, local government, universities, right? So they have to represent to their constituents that they're actually allocating that capital in a responsible way and in a way that's going to generate returns on an annual basis. And they generally have to hurdle over a certain rate of return every year. So that's where they have to think about the IRR as opposed to just the multiple on invested capital, because you could have a large multiple, you could have a three X multiple, but if that's over a longer period of time than a two X, your IRR may actually look worse.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, so this, this playbook tire's going to keep running it. And this is only just creating more and more <laughs> up rounds and investment dollars sloshing around in, in the winters.
0: What it's doing is it, I think it's making a lot of VCs kind of who are smaller in size than Tiger. I mean, Tiger's just they just announced last week that they're out raising a $10 billion fund. And this is just after closing. months after raising a $6.7 billion fund. I think it makes a lot of these larger VCs or growth funds think about okay how do I think about my fund size because I have to compete with these larger funds who are coming in deploying capital incredibly mm-hmm. quickly I mean the velocity of pace I think in the first 100 days of the year don't quote me on this but in the first 100 days of the year I think Tiger had made or maybe it was 120 days in the year Tiger's made 100 investments or something so almost an Boom investment it. per day <laughs> um, so impressive it's I mean it, it is but they're able to to do that because of the way that they've structured things. I think they also to their credit use data. I mean a lot of these hedge funds or crossover funds are leveraging data to find companies. Now, I think this actually goes to something that you were saying which is you're leveraging data not just to help help you find companies, but you're leveraging data to help you help companies. And that I think is an interesting difference and in that that's kind of one of the things I was I was getting at earlier with what are LPs looking for and do they need things to be different? Because, like, there's the finding and picking part of venture, which is incredibly important, right? If you find and pick the best deals companies, you will probably end up doing better. Um, and LPs care about that. But then, to your point, the, obviously you got to win the deal, but then help these companies. That, that's really important, particularly at earlier stages, maybe at later stages with Tiger that's not as important because these founders are are self-sufficient at that point.
1: Look, I can't
0: unsee my own experience
1: as a founder CEO I'm looking at that going. I know what I'm doing. I've built this business. This is my life's work. Yeah, like I'm like just give please give me money. I will make you more of it and do a lot of good work in the process. So, what's the best argument from the very best firm and very best firms investors to say, "Look, take our money instead." I'm your pal. You can text me anytime you want. Like there's still only 24 hours in the day. Realistically, there are going to be exceptions for sure. But I think a lot of folks are going to have a hard time justifying why a founder should go that way. And what's wild is with all that information and all that transparency, the best founders, everyone's going to know who the best founders are and the best companies and the best investors. And like, that's going to make life really hard for folks who are not. And, and even this build in public trend I was tweeting about this morning, I'm, we just backed a company or we just announced back a company, um, called Metify. and, uh, they're, they're building a really, really cool coaching platform, starting with video games, but all kinds of other stuff eventually too. And they've been building in public from day one. And so all their metrics, right. Revenue growth, all that stuff. They just tweet out every month. And it's great because it, it's sort of a low key flex, for hiring for fundraising like it's just really it's a good thing it's sort of good for the community because it's open source and it's just it's valuable for everyone and i actually think it's going to become the norm and in five years it will be standard because when you're a company starting from nothing unless you have high expectations like unless you're a repeat founder and everyone's like looking and watching and waiting like there's no downside to publishing that you have zero revenue in your first month. There's no downside to publishing you have zero revenue in your sixth month because no one gives a fuck. Like that's the point, no one cares about you (laughs) and building in public is a way to get people to start caring. And so I I think in five years, unless I think 99% of founders build that way from jump, now consider if that is the norm, at what point would a founder CEO stop doing that? Because I actually think the average founder CEO, if she's built her business that way, she's built her culture that way, she might ease up. I mean, she's not going to share everything because there's competitive advantage to, to certain things being private. But but actually, I think by and large, a lot of those metrics would still get shared publicly. Maybe they're shared quarterly as opposed to monthly. But like they're building in public. And so if everyone is building in public and there are companies that are growing and making tens of millions of dollars in revenue, investors are going to see that way faster and way sooner. And so the feeding frenzy
0: all pushes so much more momentum to the big winners. There was a tweet that, that I saw by Darian Shirazi from Gradient VC, mm-hmm. yeah. and they invested in Main Street. At the time, he didn't share the, the, the company's name, but he showed a revenue chart of, like the, I think, the, MR, the MRR had increased by like 10x or something. And obviously now, given Main Street's fundraise, we know which company it was. But those types of things, I know that was the VC rather than the company showing in public, but it is interesting to see how building in public and leveraging platforms and community end up drawing in investors, customers, hires, right? I mean, because you're creating, I mean, I think what you're getting to is actually circle this back to what you said in the beginning, like the value of trust
1: online. Mm, Yeah. It's a hell of a way to do it. And as a CEO, especially coming from zero like is in you're just starting your company the natu- there's a lot of instinct there i know i certainly had it coming out the gate i was reticent to share a lot of things because you know it felt like everything was going wrong we we're, we're just trying to do even the most basics right but it's the wrong instinct you're you've for a lot of things you're sort of taught to be very sort of precious or protective or what have you. But the reality is I think this is a great thing for the culture to shift now because there really is no downside. And I this is what I advise every 776 founder, especially if they're in the business of building software for other startups. Yeah, it's a, it's an absolute no-brainer there because you're you're doing free promotion, free marketing.
0: How much do you think the blending of public and private markets that we're seeing happen is impacting this? And how do you think that this trend of building in public will actually impact the blending of public and private markets? Because now anybody can see progress. They can see vulnerability even. I mean, a founder willing to share things shows that people are willing to show show themselves to the world as opposed to kind of keep themselves closed. So how much do you think those two trends are colliding?
1: Well, it's funny because this is an area where, thanks to regulation, the public markets are, uh, they're ahead of the game, right? But, you know, for a public market CEO, You're used to quarterly earnings calls. You know, you have to have this kind of transparency because of regulation. But ironically, the creation of a sort of cultural regulation that is building in public has now happened pretty organically. I think it's going to continue. And you're right. This intersection is is priming everyone who is a potential investor to be sort of, to be thinking that way. And it's another, I think it's going to be one more example of, of more momentum for the companies that are doing well, because now they're going to be doing well in public, you know, in the past, there are definitely, I've seen, I mean, I've seen rounds get done where I'm just like, wow, really? Because I, you know, was an investor from day one. I knew the competitive space a lot better. I knew the business better. I, I've been working with the company for years. And then you see these later stage rounds, you're just like, wow, I, I know this company pretty well. I didn't think it was that good. And this is when you say this about your own company, and you're just like, okay, well, good, you know, hopefully they'll, they'll figure it out. And, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. That is just gonna further exacerbate the kind of winner-take-all dynamic at play already because of software. And now when you throw the capital part to it, and the community part to it, man, it's gonna be wild to see. Because even like in our heyday of competition with Dig from like 2005 to 2010, I didn't know anything I mean, I I didn't know anything as a first-time CEO, but I also didn't know anything about like like Alexa scores were the best sort of metric for their growth because this is pre-mobile as well. And so like, yeah, I'd, I'd be sort of comparing Alexa scores. That's what journalists would always ask. And that was the one kind of thing I had in my head. But that was it. We're just totally blind. And and I've gotten to know Kevin and I'm friends with Kevin now. And, and it's funny how <laughs> naive we were in so many ways, not just about what we were doing, um, but also about, the the sort of landscape, and I think I think founders are going to be better off in a world with more of that transparency.
0: Do you think if one competitor is building in public and is seemingly making their company look very good in public, or even creating a quote unquote cult, Rome cult, Stripe cult, we can go on and on and name these different companies that have captured the zeitgeist of, and maybe it's an echo chamber, maybe it's the Twitter crowd as opposed to other people in the universe, but that may cascade over. But do you think if one competitor is doing that in public, do you think it puts pressure on the other, on that company's competitor to feel the need to do the same as well? I think
1: so. It also creates an interesting mode. Like, we we'll use the Main Street example. Who is gonna show up, who really wants to show up right now and be the next Main Street? What is the conversation gonna be like with founders or with investors, unless you have, unless you figure out something product-wise that really is 10x better, where you know you're going to be able to say like, oh yeah, for I mean it's not that much work, but for even less work, you'll get even 10 times more money. Like actually, given the nature of how Main Street works, I don't even know how that's feasible because they're just taking advantage. They'd, they'd only be able to take advantage of the same sort of government rebates, so it's not uh, you. You couldn't. And who knows, maybe someone will come up with that innovation, but it has to be so much better now because Main Street has captured so much of the zeitgeist and built that community, and that's real. That's, that's a strong defensive play, and so it'd be table stakes to be public because they've already set the bar. Imagine how, just imagine how lame it would be to come on his Twitter, like, hi, I'm the CEO of Lame Street, and and we're going to take on Main Street, and we're so much better. We're going to save you ten times as much money. What are my replies going to say? Prove it. How much? Really? Show us. Show me. And and then I'm I'm either comfortable tweeting out every day with a bunch of at replies from people calling me on my bullshit. Or I actually have to step up.
0: They might need to change their name first from Lame Street. Yeah, no, I know Lame Street. I would not I
1: would not fund or recommend a company, start a competitor Main Street called Lame Street. But I'm not even a Main Street investor. I don't know why i'm um, I'm acting like such a homer, but it's uh it's a good example.
0: The other side of this, too is historically in private markets, the value has been for investors. One, the information arbitrage, right? There are investors in private markets who will have more information than those who are not informed about the company or don't know anything about it. So therefore, like that's why a the price is generally lower than it would be in the public markets, and b that's why you get in early. Now, if you're saying that inv- that companies start to build in public, how do you think this changes? what VCs have to do, right? Because that's to some extent their advantage is information arbitrage.
1: That's true. Well, so there's a little bit there. Some of it <clears throat> just using software to just literally follow and then read the accounts of these companies. And then actually just building in, I mean, pretty basic software just to, <laughs> to notify a human once there's some interesting jumps or movement or trends. And then another side would be you know better productizing the the network um, because there are still gonna be areas of inefficiency where people are not publishing in real time or they're not publishing public at all. And that's why it's more important than ever to make sure that you're aware of sort of who the most promising founders and companies are in your network and we're trying to do versions of that. I have, I announced the giving flowers feature on Cerebro, which I'm very happy about. So right in the notes, you can slash thank someone and then by doing that, it tags their profile with a a little token of an emoji flower that counts up so that anyone in the firm, anyone in the community can be thanking people for doing them solids, which helps us know, okay, in a year, in 10 years, we know these are the people who have done the most solids, most favors for the 776 empire. Those are the people we need to take care of. Those are the people we need to to spoil with any of the year gifts. Those are the people we just got to keep close because they're really good to us. And I wanted to democratize that access because I like, I want everyone to be able to say, like, oh, yeah, Jane Doe did me a solid, recommended a great restaurant for my anniversary. Like, thanks, Jane Doe. Like, it could be as simple as that, or it could be as big a deal as like, oh, they they got us into this round, or they, they you know, recommended us founder that returned our fund 100x.
0: On that point, how do you think about that, right? And the value and impact of, quote, unquote, value add, right? Because there may be one investor who literally does one thing for a company, but that one thing. Could it's be absolutely transformative versus another investor doing ten other things. And it's not that that's bad that they did ten other things, but mm-hmm. that one thing that that investor did is so incredibly valuable. So, how do you productize the impact of value that people have?
1: I mean, this is the this is the big attribution question that I haven't fully figured out yet. <clears throat> so, I don't have a good answer for you but right now. It's still pretty subjective, where it's just like, what do I think the actual impact of all these people who are? <laughs> It's hard. I think the way this probably looks is in, I don't know, a year or two, once I've got some data, we can actually look at that and start weighting different things and just try, just make a V1 of an algorithm where it's like, okay, an introduction to a fun returning company is like really valuable. That's worth 100 points uh, versus like recommending a good restaurant or some sort of basic nice gesture is worth like one point. And, and then just tweaking it. I, this was this is exactly how the karma system, like this is this is how I came up with that. It was just like, let's just try something. How about you get one point if someone upvotes you and you lose a point if someone downvotes you. Not very creative. It's evolved a bit since then, uh, along with the, the hotness sort of front page algorithm. But it, the, what's most important is to come up with something.
0: You got to start somewhere though, right? Because it's, I mean, I think the hard part at first is just tracking it. I mean, because oftentimes True. help is kind of, the perception of that person receiving that help. And sometimes they will, based on somebody's reputation, they may overweight that help hopefully, relative to yeah. somebody who may not have a brand and they'll underweight that help even if that ends up being more helpful. So hopefully that ends up creating some sort of democratization or, or, or equalization. Definitely worth definitely worth sorting.
1: Okay, I'll come back to you with a full, we'll have a full Cerebro update next week. No, I'm not, there's no way I'm building all that. But this is gonna be something we'll be working on for a very long time, so. No, no definitive answers yet, but soon.
0: Let's see the bouquets of flowers that that get put around uh, yeah. on on the platform. <laughs> oh yes. Um, all right.
1: Well, I gotta go, man. How does this happen so quick? Ciao. Grazie.